Welcome to the Jeff Duden Show. I am Jeff Duden, expert entrepreneur and brand builder. I unpack experiences from today's proven visionaries, action takers, and business athletes to understand the perspective, decisions, and fundamentals that can be applied to your life. Topics include pursuit of learning, health and wellness, leadership, entrepreneurship, and much more. And away we go. Welcome back to the Jeff Duden Show. I am Jeff Duden. I'm so excited to be here today. On the show, we will talk about all sorts of topics, brand building, freedom through entrepreneurship, how to change your life through entrepreneurship, negotiation, leadership, and much, much more. I am hosting another great guest today who will share their journey with us. They will bring us their lessons learned through experience and uh, hopefully give us some exciting things that we can use to improve uh, where we are in life and, and help us get to where we want to go. So let's jump right in. Today, I welcome Dr. Clarence Lee Jr. Dr. Lee is a Christian encourager, physician entrepreneur, nationally celebrated author, international speaker, and CEO of C. C.M. Lee Jr. Companies. That's hard to say. CM Lee Jr. Companies, LLC, which is a personal development company that conducts training on high performance and mental conditioning for teams, organizations, and students. A former student athlete, Dr. Lee holds a degree in biology from the University of Incarnate Word and degrees in medicine and business from Drexel University. Also a decorated war veteran, Dr. Lee served in the United States Air Force for 10 years, with his last assignment being a flight surgeon flying the T-38 and U-2 airframes in one of the most elite squadrons in the U.S. Air Force. Dr. Lee is the author of the inspirational memoir, Well, My Mom Says, as well as his latest book, Persist. He is a columnist for several publications and appears on air often as well. Recently, Dr. Lee was named Top 40 Under 40 by the Sacramento Business Journal and Drexel University. He was honored as one of the top healthcare entrepreneurs to know by Becker's Hospital Review and as one recipient of the Black Enterprise Modern Man Award. Dr. Lee is a devoted husband and father. He lives in Carlsbad, California and loves spending time with his wife and five children. Dr. Lee's journey has definitely been an interesting one, from living in rough areas to being a flight surgeon in the military. He's seen and overcome a great many obstacles. You're in for a real treat today on this episode. Welcome, Dr. Lee. Thanks, Jeremy. I'm excited. Looking forward to adding some value. That's great. That's great. So to set up the episode today, like we've talked we'd like to break it into sections. And first, we're going to go back and start with your early, early years and understand where you grew up, where you came from, the things that impacted you and, and the lessons that you learned as you were, uh, you know, nature, nurture, the whole, the whole nine yards and, and, and how it all uh, started for you fundamentally and what laid the foundation for you. And then we're going to go into that interesting period between when you're a child and you're a young adult and you're, you're trying to figure out, well, who am I going to be in life? What's my path going to be like? So that transitional time where oftentimes we find that key decisions are made that set you up and put you on a path and determine where you end up in life. So that's an interesting time and, and we want to make sure that we spend time there. 
and then we'll, we'll get into what you do as an adult. What's the change that you make in the world? What's the impact that you bring? You know, who do you help? How do you do it? You know, what's your purpose? What makes you go and all that kind of stuff. So, so that's, that's what we're going to do today. And I'm so excited to take this journey with you, Dr. Lee, and just honored uh, that you've taken the time to, to be on with us today. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm pumped. I mean, that's a, that's a lot to cover, but uh, I'll, I'll try to keep it short. I'm a speaker, so I'll, I'll, I'll try to stay in time. Well, we've outstanding. Well, well, let's go back uh, into the, or into the early days. Why don't you take us back? You grew up in Kansas city with a dad in the Marines. Tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, how it all got started for you. Yeah, my, um, my parent, my parents were together till I was around five. Um, and, you know, when my, when my dad was at home, um, it was, I saw a lot of crazy things when I was younger. Um, you know, after my dad came back from the Marines, it was, it, it was, it was, it was a rocky time for me at home. So when my parents um, got to see a, a, a single income leave, and then I was just left with my mom and we had two kids and, and uh, times got pretty rough for us at that point. Um, so, you know, I got to see my mom really, work her way up from basically nothing. So my mom really, really influenced me, me growing up. Um, and I think not having my dad around affected me in a way where I became a, a very dedicated part of the family. So you'll, you'll head through that story. Um, but yeah, lots of, uh, lots of trials while I was with my mom, um, just kind of, seeing her try to do the best for us, basically. Um, and, um, you know, luckily she was a huge proponent for me and, and, and pushed me forward and was always there supportive. And, um, you know, I've been able to do some cool things in life. Uh, that's when I worked desk for start. So, so did you have brothers and sisters growing up? Yeah. So um, I've got one older sister, three years older, and um, – maybe 10 years after my parents divorced, my mom remarried and, and I have two other siblings, two other sisters. Uh, so I was the only boy growing up in the house, which had- You know, oftentimes when we perceive that our family's different and you know, you're in a single parent home and now you're moving around and you're, you're more, you're in, you're in a part of conversations at a young age where maybe not all children are faced with that. And you're really having to question, you know, wh- why are we moving? What, what's, why is this hard for us? You know, what, uh, Hey, what did I do? Or, or, but so oftentimes what you see is people ask themselves, what can I do? And, you know, candor, I, I love to say that that feedback is the breakfast of champions and people should eat it every day. And candor and truth and reality is an incredible teacher because it just, you know, when you're, when you're facing challenges, you are oftentimes, you don't have, to, you don't have time to lie to yourself. You know, you've got to make something happen. Do you feel that in some way, um, you know, you've, you obviously have identified this as a period that was hard and that you had some realizations how do you think that translated into who you are today? Do you think in some way it helped shape you and made you resilient? Uh, I know that we're going to hear some incredible stories about your applying to medical school. How did, how did that early time, do you think it, it set, set up kind of who you are and in terms of your grit and persistence? Yeah, so um, 
and you know, a lot of people ask, but I, I always dreamed big. I'm, I'm, and I don't, maybe every kid dreams big, but I, I always dreamed big um, when I was when I was coming up. I always had a big dream. I, I thought I was going to be successful. I wanted to be successful, and, um, and I, at that time, just going through what all went through was a lot of environment that didn't necessarily validate my dreams. Um, didn't necessarily give me that sort of encouragement when I went and looked out into uh, the neighborhood or when we, you know, we didn't have lights on in the house or when I didn't necessarily have running water in the house. Um, there was a lot of feedback I got from environments. It's not going to pretty. Um, and what, you know, one thing that I tried to do was protect my dream. And, uh, you know, when you grow up in a place where there's, so I grew up in a typical, you know, what, what America would call typical black ghetto. So typical what you would see on, on, the, on the TV, what it's like to live in a, in a black ghetto. That's where I grew up in. There's mindset down there. So there's a mindset about what's possible for you, what you can do, how far you go. Um, and so for me, it was what can I do to protect my dream? So um, it, it was more of uh, always speaking life to myself, always encouraging myself, um, always kind of trying to figure out, even though, you know, teachers or people in my, my neighborhood might not believe, how can I continue to believe in dream? And so I think growing and having a lot, one, gave me a mindset that I can overcome anything. Like, so it, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter where you start. It doesn't matter. And uh, two, it gave me this mindset that um, hard work will definitely pay off. You know, so if, if you're, you're telling me it's not worth trying, I know because what I saw mom doing through that, that it can. So, you know, from a standpoint, it definitely you have to be a protector of your dream. That's one thing that I learned. If you don't protect your dream, nobody else is going to protect it. And then two, um, you know, work as hard as you can, put everything that you can and, and, and see what you can do and, instead of letting somebody, you know, tell you what you can do. One of the things that I've uh, shared with my children is that I never want to rob from them and steal from them the opportunity to be successful on your own. And, you know, if progress is a fundamental to fulfillment and because we all want to look back at where we were a year ago or two years ago, and we want to feel like whatever it is we did in this time that we moved ourselves forward and that we made progress. So when you come from limited resources and you're really playing without a net. You're walking that tightrope and there's nothing, there's no net to catch you when you're starting from that place. And you, you, get a, you, you become a bit fearless because you know that you started from nothing. And uh, one of the, my favorite definitions of, of, of leadership is the ability to stand on nothing and create something. Mm. and that's powerful and and that's what you've done and so coming from a place of of you know where you really had to pull yourself up and do it and and but 
tying onto a dream and, and hanging onto it and not protecting your dream. I think that's what you said. Uh, that's, that's powerful thinking and, it, and it's a powerful place to come from. And I, and I think it translates through your life. Even when the game gets bigger, you still have a sense of that, you know, loss is loss can't be lost because you're never going to have less than you started with. If that makes sense. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and, and I think, um, and the other thing is mentors that the hunger um I feel like I developed at that young age, just this hunger to want to succeed. Um and you know, fast forward to now, you know, a, a lot of people ask me why I do so much. Um, so I, I, I practice medicine, I try to speak, I relax, add on courses, I can pull companies. Um why do you so much? I think that hunger hasn't left me. Like I still realize that what has gotten me here was the hard work and the kind of a, a commitment to trying to do my best and add value in, in every way that I can. That's actually what got me here. So there's there's no that 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 can't lead that that you know it's it's, it's not now I'm gonna go oh, yeah I'm cool uh, whatever I'm fine. Like, um, it, it, I get that a lot. You know, I get that question a lot. Why do you do so much? Why do you do so much? And um, I, I think during my time growing up, it, it just made me really hungry. Yeah. One of my, grandfa uh, my wife's grandfather's favorite sayings was, if you want something done, ask a busy person to do it. They ought to get things done. So uh, athletics growing up, did you find athletics and was that a source of belonging for you? How did you use it? Tell us about your athletic career. Yeah, so sports played a, a, a huge role in um, in my life, especially from a showing me what hard work can do. Um, and so, you know, I started off no skill basketball. I played I've lots of basketball being one that I really became passionate about. And just from going to the basketball court and just shooting over and over and over again, I made myself into a three-point shooter. And it was sports was the first example in my life where, I mean, academics was a little bit, but sports was really where I saw that the more out I put in, the performance I was going to have, it was like wrecked. It was shooting. I felt, I felt good. My stroke felt good, performed And so, you know, um, sports, team sports, it just helped me so much from a mindset standpoint. But I, I think really, you know, you put in the work, you will perform. That, that was kind of the, the piece, you know, if, if, I, if I put in the time on the court, if I put in hours afterwards, and I would have performed now and the times when I didn't do that, didn't always perform. So it taught, you know, it taught me that. But, you know, I was blessed to have some really, really cool coaches. Um, gentlemen that were, uh, Coach Tippett, my, my first coach in high school, um, he was, if a guy would not let you underperform if he's potential you, if he saw what you were able to do, uh, he had a bar extreme eye for you. And so at times it seemed like he was on me a lot. 
but now going back, I just, I, I appreciate the fact that I had somebody in my life that held the bar high for me and didn't take the, didn't take the gas off. Like it was press it. This is what you can do. And, and I'm at that bar. So sports are, was huge. Uh, I, I love playing basketball. <laughs> so, so you, you grew up and where were you during your high school years? Memphis, Memphis, Tennessee. Okay. So you were in Memphis and you were there the majority of that time you were, you were working hard on your academics and you were playing basketball. What, uh, what else were you doing during that time? Where, where was your head at? What were you thinking in high school? Oh, I have to, you know, a huge part of my story is, is being in the, is, is being in the South and being a, a black male. There were a lot of, there are a lot of stereotypes that I had to overcome uh, growing up. So I'll just give you an example. So like, the, today I go up to high school, I'm in, no, 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 let me back. I, when I moved to Memphis, um, I, I went to a school, um, I went to East High School. It was in, um, it was one of the roughest parts of, of Memphis. Um, and um, my my ninth grade year, one of my friends killed school. So he gets murdered and he gets shot. And I go home and I tell my mom, um, hey, I'd, I, you got to get me out of this school. Like, I, I, I know this is where I'm supposed to be going to school at, but there's drugs and everyone has weapons and they're killing people. Like I'm, I'm like, mom, if you keep me school, something bad is going to happen. So my mom, my, my just did what that meant. I just knew it was not going to be for me. And so I have my mom as my, as a real big advocate for me. And so she went to the school board and she said, Hey, look at my son's grades. Uh, he's an excellent student you know, can we do a transfer to one of the, one of the better schools uh, in the area? And uh, I was white. So my station, uh, the major white school, and it was really, really good, small fracking, um, and I was able to do what's called a minority to majority transfer. I was able to transfer up to this school. So when I get there, I'm from the worst school in, in Memphis. And now I'm at one of the best schools, um, best with best schools, and um, and I was academic gifted. The story that I tell the first day I go up, and I'm in, they have an honors program, like kind of the honors classes, advanced placement classes, and things like this. So the first day I show up in advanced placement, I can't remember if it was, I don't know, algebra, calc, one of one of those in a classroom and i just want to set the picture for you like where i'm from you use a certain right so i grew up and you dress a certain way you wear dance a certain way you wear your shirt a certain way this is what was fresh this is what was clean you know like this is what the girls you know what i mean you, you wear it like this so uh i show up to class and the teacher is like are you here in the right class and I, yeah, I'm pretty sure, you know, boom, it's my class schedule. Um, 
yeah, I'm, I'm in the right class. She looks at it. She sees my name. And in advanced placement, like, you have, they have to pick who in. So she, knew, she saw my name, so she knew that was my name. Oh, my gosh. Oh, okay, yeah, you're Clarence Lee. Okay, good. Dealt with that my, my, whole, my whole life, my whole semester. Memphis is a very racially diverse place. That's where they killed Dr. King. It was it was one of the things, and so that whole protecting my dream um, was something that I was very dedicated to in Memphis, and I think that was an additional uh, kind of toughening that happened to me growing up there, being being kind of academically and athletic gifted, and, and, and the way that I looked, it not always you know <laughs> like oh this guy's a bad boy, oh my gosh he's also like three in a class like how does that work you know um and he looks like this he dresses like this you know so it was um it was in high school I'd probably say that is my that's the biggest experience is just protecting your dream remembering who you are um no matter what you know folks might think that are real. Yeah. yeah I recently finished Dr. Uh, ben Carson's book uh, Gifted Hands and he shared a lot of his stories growing up. And there was a lot of similar instances where being a very gifted student and him and his brother and the things that they faced, just stereotypical things and, you know, and, um, you know, mistakes or mis misjudgments, misrepresentations. Do you find that, uh, you know, do you find that you, you know, once you got into the class and you overcame that initial uh, disrespect or whatever, you know, however you want to uh, frame that, that, uh, that you had the opportunity to, to learn. And, and obviously, um, you've done extremely well for yourself. Uh, how did that, you know, how did that, did it change your approach to things? It didn't dissuade you, obviously. And what advice can you give people that are in that same situation today on how they need to think about this? Because it, you know, we, we're, you know, we, people make representations about all of us, you know, based on, you know, how you're, I, I remember when I started uh, my business and I was young and I hired a guy who was 12 years older. He's a little balding. He had some gray hair. And every time people would come in to the, the office or the job site, they would, you know, walk by me and they would go to this guy because he was clearly the boss. And, and I told him, I said, if they want to deal with you, you're the sales guy, right? You don't tell them anything different. <laughs> I'm fine with that, you know, uh, because it's your, it's your deal to close. So you take whatever positional power you can. Uh, but it's, it's, you know, people, people form opinions about uh, things all the time. And certainly, um, so I, what advice would you have for, for people that are facing the same types of things uh, today or people in that age group? How do, they, how do they internalize this? How do they turn it into, into power for them? What's your advice? So I just what my approach was one of, of understanding that racism existed. Um, my approach was one of understanding that be it right or wrong, people were going to think this way about me just because of the way that I look. Okay, so if that was the work that game and I'm in and I always try to say plenty. I wanted to. So my strategy was, well, how can I 
deal with someone that might be racist or might think this about me? How can I deal with them in a way where I can still win? All right, so what do I do? Oh, okay, well, maybe they not respond to communication the survey, so maybe it changed the way I speak to this person. Okay. Hey, when you're, when you're in this one's class, they kind of respond to you dressing this and, and not in really a, a great way. How about I change the way that I dress? No big deal to me. I just change the way that I dress. Okay, cool. Um, for for me, and, and, and then it was like, oh, well, I want to see what's similar between me and this first. So let me find out okay, what do like, what do they listen to, um, where are they from? So it was like, learning more about them and then bringing similarities in the conversation. So for me, the, the strategy was to um, make, do whatever I need to make them feel comfortable. You know? And so that meant whatever that meant. So my encouragement to people, especially black people, especially black males, if you're going through something, um, as long as, and I tell this, you know, because I'm, I'm about empowerment, right? I'm about seeing what you can do, seeing what, how you can with the situation. So um, I just, I would tell young folks is, um, you know, adapt, adapt as much as needed to win. Um, and so, you know, whatever it is that is the riff or whatever the person is responding to, you can change those things about you, especially in a, in a temporary sense so that you can win. So my, that was my strategy was drawing out similarities, changing the things that people responded to um, because at the end of the day, I'm there for a reason. I'm there to get education. My teacher had the knowledge that I needed. I needed I needed, I didn't need any barriers to that. <laughs> so yeah. if all I had to do was change the, how I wore my, my, my pants, then I, I'll change that so that I can get the knowledge that you have. So, you know, for me, it was always been what I was there for up top and forefront. Why am I even in this class, in this class to learn? Are there barriers to me learning? Okay, well, let's remove all those barriers so that I can get what I need to get from this interaction so that I can win. And so that's been, um, you know, that's, that's been my strategy. And that's what I, I teach. Um, I encourage young people, um, especially if you're going to be a place where you're one of the few. And so that happened to be my experience. Medical school, I was one of two uh, black male in my medical school, 255. Uh, undergrad, I was the only black male in the biology department for a biology major. Uh, when I got in the Air Force, I was the only um, black flight surgeon on my entire base. Um, I was uh, one of very few uh, black surgeons in the Air Force at the time of serving. So was my plot this this is what I had. This is my life. So, you know, for me, I, I just looked at it as how do I win? Outstanding. And do, doing well is the best revenge, right? <laughs> and, and, you know, I think it's what I tell, what I tell, I like this. And um, I tell my wife, um, I uh, <laughs> have what we call public education days. And um, it's a little, 
it, it's a little funny. I think funny. So, you know, I'll, I'll go and I'll put on a, a, you know, run DMC shirt, backwards hat, Air Jordans. I'll go and dress how you would see a, a typical rapper dress. And I'll go into a, a stores and interact with people. And, and I, uh, I like to see conversations come out of that. I like to do stereotypes, you know, and with life and with success, when you're act with my goal is to challenge um, stereotypes. Outstanding. Thank you for sharing that. It's powerful. It's powerful. So at, at some point, you decided that you wanted to be in the medical profession. When did that happen and how did that happen? And can you share what that journey was like with us? Yeah, so my mom, um, my mom was a nurse. So I got to watch my mom kind of study and, and go through nursing school. So very common image from when I was younger. My mom got, you know, cue cards spread out over the dining room table, studying drugs and things. So I got to her. And I think she was, she, uh, she put the seed of, you're going to be after my head was really young. Um, and got me some mentors. And so when my mom was, when she first got out of nursing school, I remember this like it was yesterday. She first got out of nursing school and moms are amazing. Like, I don't know how she figured this out, but she worked some deal where she could bring her kids to work with her overnight. I don't know how. So I'm there with, with her. She goes, she's at the hospital on the sleeping thing. My mom, you know, come up, try to make it. And so there's one night. A, a neonate, she, she was working in a NICU, so the neonatal intensive care unit. So a neonatologist comes in one night and um, something hadn't happened for the patient. And the doctor, she is she's visibly upset. She's, she's very upset. And um, she was like, this needs to get, this needs to get, this needs to get done. People start scurrying, right? And it was the first time that I ever saw somebody become angry and do good, do good with it. So like before that in my life, it, it, if my dad got angry, it was like something bad was about to happen. Like if, if, if men in my family got angry, it was like, this is not a good thing. And so she was, she was angry and then she, she did something good. You know, it was wow, she had the power to now make sure that this little baby didn't really have a kid. She was the advocate in making sure things were getting, getting done right. And so when I saw that, I was like, wow, I can be passionate. I can be, uh, you know, upset about something. I can do good with that energy. You know, if you're a doctor, you can fight for the right thing to happen. For Pinch, you can be passionate about what you do. And so um, that was when I decided I wanted something that you know, I want to bring good to the world. Um, and, uh, you know, I saw the doctor had the power to do it. And so that was kind of the, 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 the beginnings of like the, the little like growing in my mind. Okay, this is what I want to do. And, um, you know, I had, had mentors that, that followed me through all the way. And, you know, once I got out of uh, my second year undergrad, I started and applied to medical school. And it didn't very difficult for me. Um, for a couple of reasons. So I look back and I say, well, hey, you know, nobody in my family went to medical school. It was the first time I was ever applying. I had some mentors, but it was like, 
I was I was doing this. I was figuring it out on my own. You know, how do you submit applications? Every piece, right? So, so, so tell me, like, just pause there and tell me, what were you thinking? I, you know, I'm I'm so fascinated by this because medical school it's it's a whole nother commitment of education, and there's delayed and deferred gratification, and and there's your success of becoming a doctor and getting the gig that you're looking for and helping the people that you set out to help originally, it's not guaranteed. It's a, you know, what, what were you thinking at that point in time? Was it, I'm so committed. I don't care. I don't care. This is what I'm doing and whatever it takes, I'm going to get it done. Was there ever any hesitation around this? I'm, I'm fascinated to know at that inflection point in your life where you you're now uh, you're a good student you've graduated you've become worldly uh, your mom's given you experiences and and put you around people that uh, have poured into you and and have have shared uh, visions for their life that you could you could attribute to your life and and now you're you're looking at this huge mountain that's called medical school and residency and money and all this stuff right how how what are you thinking right there are you just like I want to, I want the visual. Like, who? Like, are you just standing with your chest out, confident, and you've got your hiking boots on, and you're climbing this thing? No, I, no not necessarily. <laughs> not in the beginning. Um, so, you know, after it, I'll speak to so Ended up having a bit of medical school for five years. You know, I applied over five hundred times, um, and there was a point around two years after I'm out of undergrad, I'm supposed to be, now remember, I'm supposed to be the success of my family. I'm the college graduate. Everybody's like, I played basketball in college and I'm, I'm supposed to be the success. And I'm sleeping on mom's couch and got this degree and back at home and my own doctor and it's years in the day. People are like, come on, like get on with your life. What are you going to do? And I remember I started to look to the side. So I started to say, hey, maybe this doctor thing is not going to happen for me. What's the next best thing? You know, if I can't be an MD, maybe I get to another professional school. I started looking at other professionals. I started looking at optometry school, applying to optometry school, got accepted on a wait list, and I got a call from the school, and they're like, hey, we need to know if you're in. We're going to give you this seat. Um, what, you know, we, we just got to know that you're going to take it if we give it to you. And this and was optometry school. Optometry school. So that was a plan B. That was a plan B. Because, and so in, in my eyes, in my mind, I could not rationalize accepting plan B for my life. Like I could see if it's like, oh, I want a hamburger and you don't have the ketchup today. Okay, I'll take it without the ketchup. Fine. But you know, going to optometry school, if I went that route, that was going to be my life. There wasn't any turning back. And so, you know, I heard getting off the phone and, and, and my mom, I said, hey, mom, I, I think I'm, I'm going to get accepted in optometry school, but um, I'm going to go to medical school. And, you know, she just started crying. And I think that was like the moment where I just went all in. So it was like, I turned down this opportunity to be an optometrist just to apply to medical school. And my, my mindset at the time was 
business committee committees didn't move up. They didn't know me all day in application. I could change the application. I could change that first statement. I could change my DA. I could I could make myself more competitive year after year after year. And uh, you know, eventually, you know, Lord Lord has it. The very next year, I got accepted into a post-bag program, which is like a year long where you use medical school classes, you compete. And if you do well, you'll get accepted medical school the next year. Next uh, year, I got accepted in that program. And then a year later, I was in medical school. Outstanding. So, so now you're in medical school. And uh, what's, what's next for you in terms of, uh, is there, are there, once you're in it, you're on a path and it's head down and you're, you're doing everything uh, that, it, that it takes to uh, be at the top of your class and to compete. So what was that? Is there anything along that line that's noteworthy for you where you're on this path? And one thing I've found is, is entrepreneurs like yourself, great entrepreneurs, great influencers like yourself, you know, I, I, one of my favorite sayings is, is that, you know, and I, and I was coaching, actually, I had a coaching call with a musician today who's been really hitting it hard for several years. And he's like, you know, I, I'm also thinking real estate could be a good <laughs> career path. And, and you know, I shared with him, I said, you know, the last 10% of anything takes 50% more effort. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, you can phone it in, you can phone it in in school, you can not study at all. And you can get an 80. I mean, I, you can not show up. You can, you can gel for the test. And you can probably get a good solid B minus C plus, And you will graduate. If you want to get a 90, you know, 85 to 90, you might need to study 10 hours a week. But if you want to be 95, 98, 99, it's probably 40 hours a week. I mean, it is four times as much to get that last bit of excellence. And I think... You know, I used to, I used to think, well, because I wasn't a good student early in my career, and I would say, you know, I've got life experience. These people should be interested in me because of the life experience. But what I didn't realize is that, is that it's not the grades and the knowledge necessarily. It's the fact that these people applied themselves in such a way that they got every last little bit out of, of whatever it is they were doing. And I know that, that, that you, uh, you did extremely well, but as you were going through medical school and as you're on this path, what other things were you thinking about that may have caused you to kind of get to where you are in life? Because you have a very, you have a varied career and, and you're, you're successful inside of medicine and you're successful outside of medicine. So what was the mindset as you're going through medical school? Were you already kind of looking over, you're, you're climbing one mountain and you're, maybe you're looking across the valley at another peak over there and said, once I get this one tackled, there's so much more for me out there? Yes, I have. This, um, I'm all over the next year. So first, I was always like that. Um, and in animal school, the one I remember is just the, uh, just the pure amount of time that I had to put in uh, to to be successful in, in academia, in medical school. So the amount of studying that I had to do was on, I mean, it was just, it was another level. I mean, like 12, 16 hours every single day. If I didn't put the time in study, I was going to be behind and information just keeps coming. So I always tell medical since I don't want to get in pre-med or medical, not necessarily 
the actual material, not the content, but it's the volume of it. It's mm. how fast it's coming. It's like a fire hose is coming at you. And so um, I just remember during that time, um, really being dedicated to managing my time. You know, how much time did I put in every single day? And I knew everyone was small in my class. All of us were gifted. So the only difference between, and I love what you were saying, the only difference between me and the other guy was who was going to put in more time. Mm. If I was able to put in more time, I was going to outperform them. And that's how I saw it. And so it was just like, um, I, I'm, I'm always a competitor. I sports. I, I want to compete. Like, you know, I, I like it. You know, it gets, it gets me up. Even if I do it myself in rain, you know, I'd be sitting with the guy protesting and I'd be like, I'm about to rush you, bro. Like, that's just, I would just, like, I just, we're taking the test, man. Why, why you got to make it like, you know? But um, I always wanted to compete. And so, I, you know, in medical school, since, you know, it was just how much time are you going to put in? You know, how much time are you willing to put in more than everyone else? Um, but it was a great experience. I just remember so being so excited. You know, I just remember being excited that this was going to happen for me. And I had finally got into a school in Philadelphia. And, you know, going from the Midwest, South, big city, I just remember being so uh, excited um, that, uh, that I was finally there. And, and uh, so, yeah, so Drexel was a great medical school. I thought they did an amazing job, but I, I said the one thing I took away was, you know, you have to put in the time the more you put in, however you're going to do. Right. Well, that's a great segue to this next topic, and you are referred to as the persistent coach, and I see you've got the word persist on your hat and the persist institute behind you on the wall there. So what what is the pers- persist institute, and tell us, about this brand and, and what it means. So as I, um, so out of school, I started in the surgery pram. I, I was in the air at the time. I went to Brook Army Medical Center uh, as, a, as a surgery intern. And I am sleeping at the hospital. I've been, I've been up 36 hours. Uh, it's like three o'clock in the morning and I'm looking up and I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I'm spinning all the hospital. I'm not seeing my my, uh, my dog. I'm not seeing my fiance. What what am I doing? I'm I'm chasing my dream, but but what's going on? I'm sacrificing all of these things, and I just remember asking myself, what did I owe everyone else? Like, because I had, I had come and I had so many people support, so many people in, and here I was spending all my time after my vision, my dream, and I had this, what do I owe the rest of the world? And I said, I want to encourage other people. I owe to help them. I owe them to protect their dream as well. So what can I do to do that? And so I started, uh, I started a mentoring group at, uh, at um, one of the local high schools in San Antonio. So I started... I said, okay, this is what I owe. This is what I want to do. I was like, where's the worst school in San Antonio? Where is the absolute worst school? Um, okay, yeah, go to the east side. Okay, cool. So I go there. I start doing a, a mentoring program. Word kind of gets around. I'm doing this mentoring program. I started, now it goes to de- several different schools. I started getting invited to speak. Um, and as I've shared my story, one thing kept bubbling up over and over and over again. It was this 
every single time when I would tell people about getting into medical school, I kept going. They would just be so fascinated with how do you keep going five years, 500 times? How do you do that, Dr. Lee? How do you do that? Can you teach how to do that? That's, is that and 500 so, applications too, right? 500 applications, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, that, that's, that's enough to dissuade uh, most high school students right there. <laughs> Pretty much every every medical school in America, I blind <laughs> pretty much five years straight. Um, but so the persistence message started to crystallize itself. I didn't start off with that, but it was like persistence. It's persistent. Okay, well, teaches about persistence. So I started, you know, kind of analyzing my mindset and how do I can persist in through it. Um, you know, with the concept for the book and, and teaching, you know, how to beat the things that make people quit, you know, so I'm like, well, how do you persist? Well, you have to be able to beat the things that make most people quit. Okay, so what are those? And so, um, you know, that's how I came up with the, with the book concept. And I teach on kind of the top 10 things or top 10 excuses people that make people from there, I just creating more personal development training. So trying to develop and empower the person. So Persistent Institute is, is kind of an online mastermind group where I do personal development training to help with the one goal of help people persist to get what they want out of life. And, and how do you do that? Is it through talks and, and it's books and po- what's the content? How do, how do people get plugged in to persist? Uh, Persistinstitute.com. Um, but how I deliver my message is I travel. So, you know, I've, I've kind of, um, squared off a niche for myself in the academic speaking market. So I travel and I go to uh, undergrads mostly. And I teach pre-med, pre-law, under student on academic resilience. How do you continue to push through an academic program? If this is really what you want to do, I teach those skills. Um, and then in, within Persist Institute, it's pretty much, you know, video trainings where I break down you know, the top, maybe, you know, the top 10 areas that people, um, you know, that make people quit. So some of the top fear, you talk about how to deal with fear, how to deal with self-doubt, you know, how to deal with, I don't have enough time, how to deal with, oh, my time has passed, you know, all these things that end up making people quit. Um, You know, so I I mostly um, online training, video training, and then I I match people up in masterminds where um, they can just, get a group of people encouraged and pushed forward. Outstanding. You talk about how to find your purpose by connecting pain, passion, and potential. Mm. I, I remember creating what I called the passion map. And it was, it was this little thing I did on a spreadsheet. And I just had this epiphany one day and it was around the, the core of performance is passion. And I think passion at its root is, uh, the, wor- is the word struggle and struggling against whatever it is and how you can turn emotion into passion in a positive way and then focus that on an outcome. And I just, you know, I, I, I'm so much more effective when I'm doing things that I'm passionate about and that light you up. Why, why shouldn't we do things that light us up every day? So, so how do you 
uh, would you care to connect those dots for, for us on connecting the pain, passion, and potential, how you use that? Yeah, absolutely. So, so when I was going through um, that time, when I'm, one of my four, my hair journey success, on my hair journey adopt, you know, what is going to be my service to the world outside of the, the medical field? Um, I took myself through this, I kind of developed this process. I'm going on this journey. How do I find my purpose? And um, what I teach is, one, most people look at the struggles in their life or the pain in their life. They look at something that wasn't good or something shouldn't have had or something that was wrong or wondering. And what I found is that the areas in my life where I am the most passionate, I'm talking about where I'm fired up, are usually areas in my life where I have had some sort of pain. And so if you say to myself, well, well, Dr. Lee, like, why are you so passionate about your family? Why are you so passionate about your children? Why? Are you, why? Well, because I grew up without dad and I had the pain of being a, a, one of the best players on my team and everybody being there congratulating me. But all I wanted was my dad to be there. <laughs> I've, I've, I've felt that pain. I have really deep pain when it connects to that. So when it comes to how passionate I am about my children, I'm extremely passionate about family. So same with discouragement. So I got discouraged a lot. I felt a pain, discouraged. I talk about protecting my dream. I was coming up, really felt that I had to protect my dream. I remember the first time I ever told someone in my family I wanted to be a doctor, other than my mom. My mom was like, you know, mom is pro. She's like, go, you can do this, baby. My boy's going to be a doctor, you know, like, but everyone else was pretty much like, you're crazy. Like laugh, you know? Um, and so I had a lot of people discouraged, but I'm a very passionate encourager because I could see pain of discouragement, but now I'm passionate about encouraging people because I know encouragement has power. So for me, I had a lot of pain in, in, in those areas and uh, I'm, I'm driven a lot by, by those experiences. Um, and so I connect my pain with um, my, my passions. And so my, you know, my passions really kind of lie and, and encourage people, being positive, you know, and, and, and just being an optimistic. Like I'm very passionate about, hey, let's talk about what we can do instead of what we can't do, you know? Um, and then your potential is, is really the area where you're gifted. So where do you have gifts? What, 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 what are your God-given gifts? I feel each person has a unique set of gifts that have been given. They're supposed to value them that way. And so for me, Mike has been um, encouragement. My gift is all communication. My gift is people. So I'm, 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 I'm gifted in that area. And so for me, the, the kind of um, middle of where I found my purpose is, is ma matching what am I passionate about, where do I have uh, pain, what do I, where do I have the most potential. So I kind of bumbled all up, and now I, I do what I do with teaching people. Um, but each person, if they take themselves through that, that triangle, in the middle of that is what I call your service, your life's service. And, and I, I really feel that with connecting those three, you will find a place where you are going to be very impactful in serving the world. Oh, that's, that's brilliant. Is that available in uh, your book or that, that, 
that thinking? Because I would really like to dig into that offline. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm, I'm one of the online courses I've created is called the Purpose Focus Formula Course, and I teach an entire course uh, on the, the exact process that I just kind of sped through there in five minutes. But it's a, you know, it's a, it's a robust course on how you can get yourself through that. And it, you know, it really root in an, an idea you want to use your life to impact the world and serve the world. Because I feel in my heart of hearts that if you are serving your purpose, if when you're operating your lane, you're the most fulfilled, you're the most excited every single day, and you are bringing so much value to the world. And so that's kind of where it's rooted looking for that purpose is fulfilling and impact. In being a servant and having a servant mindset, it, it drives success for you and the people that you're serving. And people will, will give you for value $100 for every dollar that you can talk somebody out of. And so if you just commit to, to a life of service and of giving and to you know, being present, uh, being empathetic, understanding what people need, and then connecting your experience in your life, what you've learned and connecting that to people, uh, that's, that's powerful. And uh, you, have, you have so much to share. And uh, I really appreciate you walking us down that journey today. A uh, couple last questions for you, Dr. Lee. If you could tell any aspiring entrepreneur to start doing just one thing today, that will impact their trajectory and help them become a successful entrepreneur, what would that be? So I would say hands down a thousand percent from my perspective is to make more offers, offer what you're doing to the world more. Um, so I know what, and this is something that I struggle with. When I first started my, my business, I, in my, I was like, I'm already a successful doctor. Like, why do I want to go over and do this business thing? You know, how do I make this work? And I'm like, oh yeah, people are just, they're just going to come to me. They're just going to come to my website. They're just going to know, they're just going to want to work with me. You know, it's just, it's just going to happen naturally. Um, and obviously it, it did not. Um, but I think if you're an entrepreneur and you're offering a service or your product or you have something you want to bring to them that you believe in 100% is what, you believe much in what you're selling or what you're doing, then that needs to be communicated to the world as often as possible. Like if it really matters that much, if you really are bringing that much value every single day, you need to be giving people the opportunity, right? To gain this value or right to, or to do business with you. And I liken it to, and in, 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 if there is a, um, people have their ideas about bomb or all these things, if there were, you know, a, a cure for, uh, you know, AIDS or HIV, or there's a cure for even coronavirus or something right now. If you have it, it is your duty to now push that into the world so you can have as many people as possible as you're solving a main problem. So that's one thing I just encourage new entrepreneurs, don't be afraid to make an offer you're worth what you think you're worth and offer it more. <laughs> Outstanding. Great advice. 
Tell us one more time, Dr. Lee, where we can find you and direct people to where you would like them to go to get more information on you and more products. Yeah, so simply, uh, my name LeeJr.com. Uh, my website and uh, on my social media handles, I, I really love Instagram now. So I'm at Dr. Clarence Lee Jr. Uh, Jr. for the junior. So uh, Dr. Clarence Lee Jr. on all the social media platforms. So uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Um, Dr. Clarence Lee Jr. All right, and it is Clarence Lee Jr. Jr. dot com is the website. Okay. Well, I will, I will be going there again. I've been there before. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. I am extremely grateful for your wisdom and the time that we've shared together. I hope that we can continue to uh, inspire each other and work together. And I'm very excited uh, for the things that I've learned and to continue to consume uh, your journey, man. Just consume it. Uh, so uh, we will put a link to all of Dr. Lee's work and the things that we talked about in the show notes today. But until next time, away we go. Thank you for tuning in to The Jeff Duden Show. Interested in learning more about something I referenced in the episode? Check out the show notes for links to content and more. If you enjoyed my podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Until next week, you can find me at jeffduden.com. Thank you for listening.